and we're live hello everyone welcome back to another excellent episode of professional idiocy i'm your host james i use he they pronouns uh well co-host uh with barat and yeah we have an excellent episode for you today so just strap on in uh as with me always is my co-host barat hey i use he him pronouns and you know me already uh, as always, for our Paizo interviews, we have invited uh, Thailand to come back. Hey, that's me. I don't really know why I'm here on every Paizo in- interview, but I'm not complaining. No one uh, loves I the use... system quite like you. <laughs> I'm just the power gamer, all right? Um, I use he, they pronouns also. So, yeah. Awesome. And for our very special guest with us today, we have the wonderful Avi Cool. Hi, I'm Avi. I use they, them pronouns. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, just start off nice. Uh, how are you doing today? Doing very well. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I uh, had a lovely afternoon with beautiful weather. I got to walk around and photograph some ducks, which is really all I'd like to do during my free time. It's an exaggeration, but yeah, doing well. I love awesome. <laughs> I'm glad I'm starting off strong in the weird note. What did I do today? I went and photographed ducks. There's yeah, nothing right. wrong with ducks. I mean, I can, sit and great watch, one. I can sit and watch videos of ducks like drinking out of Starbucks cups all day. I don't know why that's a trend, but I love it. <laughs> that's great. This is a great way to start your day with just a, the right amount of duck. Mm. Exactly. All right. So hopping into it. Can you give us like an overview of like what your day-to-day looks like when working at Paizo? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I start work, the first thing I do is check in with the team. As senior editor, I oversee a lot of what everyone else is doing, not in uh, not in a super official, like, let me check your projects and go through your tasks, but just try to keep an eye on uh, how progress is going for each book that we're working on, because we're always working on a million books at once. Um, I'll see if there are any meetings. um, And then when I get settled in, uh, I like to edit on paper when I can. So I print out whatever I'm working on. Right now I'm working on a Lost Omens book. So I have my stack of printouts. I'm going through editing with my different color-coded pens. Each one uh, has a different meaning, of course. Uh, And I'll be around throughout the day to help out the other editors. um, Because my my position is senior editor. So I do a little bit of oversight in that sense. Uh, I help out the manager. when he's out, I'll do his duties. So that can be approvals, which is going over um, the final product after it's been through editing and doing a last look at it before it goes to the printer. And uh, sometimes I'll be working in Microsoft Word or working in InCopy and pretty much just, I spend most of my day editing. I'm very lucky that I don't have a job that has a lot of admin. I can do editing for most of the day. I can talk to my coworkers, ask them questions. Um, I have a great relationship with the developers and the designers and the art team who are all amazing. And so we have a lot of collaboration back and forth throughout the day. Sometimes it's directly about a product. Sometimes we'll just be kind of brainstorming in general about things that we want to see coming up. So that's about it on an average day. Um, and has anything in that day-to-day process changed since you know all the the recent big news of you know the process of unionizing and since it was formed? No, actually, not at all. Um, we on our daily life, um, I'd say it's completely the same right now. Um, you know, aside like union conversations happen, but I'm normally only going to be participating in union conversations like on my free time, because Mm -hmm. if I'm spread back and forth between a bunch of different topics when I'm at work, it's just impossible to focus. So I try to keep union stuff uh, outside of work hours, which um, I, as I say that, I'm like, oh yeah, it's probably, you should keep your non-work stuff outside of work hours. So that should be a given. But yeah, I I wouldn't say that the union um, has a effect on my day-to-day life at this point. And I I don't expect that it will. 
because what it's really there for is to support us um, in terms of our work situation and our like that negotiation is not going to happen as a part of my everyday life. Mm. And you've uh, already you've already got a shit ton of stuff to deal with on a day to day basis. Yeah, I think like it's way too early to see if it will change like our work routine. But other than maybe slowing things down a bit, which, uh, you know, that's a conversation that's not just a union conversation. We're all talking about like, you know, what is an appropriate pace? What is an appropriate kind of way to build our schedules? That kind of thing. Um, you know, maybe that will change. I don't know. Uh, maybe not. Uh, we're always going to be a deadline driven company because we put out books monthly. And so that's just kind of part of the Paizo life. And it's, it's most of the time not bad. As long as everyone's around and you've got uh, good energy, then, you know, the deadline-based schedule is, you get used to it. So speaking of the union, um, what are your thoughts on, like, where the union is at currently and where you, like, think it's headed? Yeah, uh, so the union is in the middle of putting together a, um, a survey to collect information on what people want for the collective bargaining process. So that is in the works right now. It hasn't actually gone out yet. And what that's going to do is the answers to that are gonna be what the bargaining committee who is currently not chosen yet, I believe. Um, the bargaining committee is going to take those to the Paizo executives and be like, here are the list of concerns, demands, uh, thoughts, problems, hot topics from the employees. And these are the things that we wanna focus on in collective bargaining. So after that, then they'll actually sit down with the executives and have that conversation. It's a little bit of a process because as I said, we are all still working full time. And so doing all this union stuff happens on our off hours. And I'm not like extremely involved in that personally, mm -hmm. but, uh, I try to keep up with it and try to be uh, in the know and uh, helpful as much as possible. So that is where the union is at right now. Nice. Uh, uh, sorry, my bad. Um, no, it's definitely great to see that the union is still like doing well. Um, and even with like the acceptance, like it still has momentum like yeah. going through it every like, Seeing the updates from the Twitter of the uh, United Paisa Workers, which you can find on Twitter, obviously, um, it's just amazing to see like the progress with every tweet. I think that we all really, really want this to go well. Uh, and a lot of people have put their hearts into it. And so as long as people are really committed to improving, which is what this is all about, then I think that the momentum will continue. Awesome. So, um, what would be like your favorite part about editing a book? Ooh, good question. Um, I love diving into mechanics. I really enjoy technical editing. Like prose editing can be fun and I enjoy that as well. But like one of my favorite things is editing classes because you can really just dive super deep and you imagine yourself playing the class and trying to figure out how would I play this? What uh, problems would I run across? Uh, how is the organization of information presented? Does it make sense on a first read? One of the things that I really like to dive into is making sure that things make sense on a first read. So when I go through and edit something like that, I have dozens of questions. The designers are very patient with me. I think they appreciate it because it's all for the purpose of making things better in the long run. And it really is fun to get to kind of uh, not tear them apart because that sounds a lot more uh, destructive, but really get my, uh, like sink my teeth into it. Uh, mm -hmm. I like the crunchy stuff. One of the reasons I like Pathfinder is because I do like a crunchier game uh, and editing rule books is one of the most, um, 
mentally intensive, though I'd say editing adventures is more mentally intensive. But rule books for me are the perfect amount of mentally intensive because you can really sink your teeth in, but you can also really focus on one thing, unlike adventures where you have to sink your teeth in and you have to be focusing on 700 different things all at once. So I'd say that's that's probably the most fun part of my day is anytime I get to edit mechanics. Writing and editing like mechanical stuff and like crunchy stuff. I, I agree that it's fun, but I like one of the difficulties I have with it is that you constantly have to be cross-referencing with other like existing things in the system Yes. to make sure you're not like stepping on this like archetype's toes or like making something that already exists work differently than it should, something like that. Yeah. Fortunately, that's more in the purview of the designers, mm. so I don't have to worry about that as much. Uh, yeah. When I'm writing, obviously, I'm going to be doing a lot of research into what are the existing similar things and um, using them as balance reference points. Uh, that can be super helpful when you're writing those kind of game design type things, is using reference points from different feats, different items, different whatever at that same level. Uh, and that way you can see what items or what feats or whatever already exist so you're not copying them but also you have a base point for what the power level should be so it's definitely like 700 tabs of on archives of nethys i keep saying 700 that's my number of the day uh you've got all your tabs open of archives of nethys you've got your books out your pdfs archives is such a useful tool for that sort of thing they're amazing everyone should support them on patreon if you don't support them on patreon everyone go do that Absolutely. Uh, and speaking of writing, I just wanted to ask real quick, how much writing do you do? And if you want, you can talk about some of the things that you've written or are writing. Yeah, um, I do a handful of freelance assignments a year, not very many, because I frankly don't have the energy to do more. Um, I did three freelance assignments this year of uh, varying lengths. Um, the first one um, oh man, now let's see if I can even remember. I guess actually, I guess actually I did two this year. I did um, Grand Bazaar and I am also writing for, or I finished writing for a book that is, has not have its writer's list announced yet, but when is this going to go live? Uh, next day week? or two usually. <laughs> yeah, oh. Okay, in that case, I don't want to step on any toes. You can tell us. You can tell us. (laughs) (laughs) Give us the industry secrets. We could edit it out later. Wink, wink. You know. Oh, please. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you, and you got to promise me that if this hasn't gone live on the blog yet, you'll wait. (laughs) But we could edit this section out. How about that? Okay. And if it's if it's not live by Monday, I'll do what I do. See, I'll take this. I'll take this little TV sensor, and I'll just put it right over. Oh yeah, (laughs) we've done that. Look, confiscated by the FBI. This is supposed to go on the blog within the next couple days, which is the oh, only okay. reason I'm going to tell you because the blog post has already been edited and scheduled. But you I know did what? get Even to if write. If it does go on the blog post, oh. I'll do it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I did get to write for Dark Archive, so that nice. is the most probably the most exciting thing that I've ever gotten to write for. I can't tell you what I wrote, but it was a what I wrote was a first for me and a very. Um, a section that to me is near and dear to my heart in terms of what kind of creepy nerdy interests I have so that's awesome entire psychic class it's just the entire psychic (laughs) yes that was me it's weird they let me on the design team for a minute yeah no and then uh for Grand Bazaar I've talked a little bit um on other in other places but I got to write one of the shopkeepers Arhan who's the tattoo artist and I wrote the magical tattoos as well as a handful of worn items and that was super fun and then before that I wrote for Bestiary 3 I wrote the Nosferatu's and that was another kind of fun deep dive into my super geeky horror interests because that's like one of my number one niches is I'm a huge horror nerd. So speaking of uh, Nosferatu. Yeah, I was about to ask that one. <laughs> can you talk about your mindset going into it and how you wanted to make them like stand out compared to other types of vampires that you see in different forms of media? 
Yes, absolutely. So um, I wanted them to be really more true to the source material than the first edition Nosferatu was. Uh, the first edition Nosferatu is fine, but I feel like the main difference between the first edition Nosferatu and just a regular Morai vampire is just they can't create spawn and they're super old and they look like a rat. And that's about it in terms of like, there's some minor mechanical differences, but essentially they're very, very similar to the standard vampire. But one of the things um, that I love about the original movie, the 1992 movie, is it's very heavily influenced by the Spanish influenza. And when uh, the vampire arrives uh, from his castle and he arrives to terrorize the people of um, whatever town it's set in, it's set, it, uh, it's in the book, it's London, but the movie is, you know, it's German. So you've got, um, all these newspaper clippings that the movie shows, uh, like saying plague has come to the town and rats and people are dying of plague. And it's using that as a metaphor for the vampire. And I love that because it's so, um, it's very topical right now. And uh, I also wanted to keep that as, because it is a core part of the movie that's gotten dropped from pretty much every single adaptation of Nosferatu. I know there's a, a really obscure old Pathfinder adventure that does incorporate Plague into the Nosferatu, but it's not in the bestiary entry because the first edition bestiaries have very little in the realm of flavor. That's one of the things that we got to expand on in second edition is putting way more flavor in the bestiaries, which is awesome. So what that. I did was I reached out to Liz Liddell and James Jacobs, and I was like, hey, I want to go off script a little bit. Uh, and they were both super supportive. James Jacobs is also a huge horror nerd, as I think everyone knows. And so he was like, oh, actually, I wish this could have been in the first edition version. Um, so he was happy to include that. So that's why you see um, that there is a, a bunch of plague-themed abilities in second edition Nosferatu that are not in first edition. There's also um, rat-themed abilities, like um, Nosferatu disperses into rats instead of dispersing into bats. And that is a reference to the 1979 Werner Herzog adaptation of Nosferatu, which incorporated, no joke, over 10,000 rats in that movie. My God. Live rats? Yeah. Live rats. Actual horrible <laughs> animal cruelty scandal. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> yes, yes. 11, I would 000. hate to be on that set. Just Christ. the idea of being around that many. I don't care if they're in cages or wherever they are. <laughs> oh, I don't need to be there running. that many. It's just yeah. a room. I'd like to imagine there's just a room on set just filled with rats. They oh, open the door is... and they all just like flood out. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally basically what happens in the movie. So That's what happened insane. was they filmed most of this movie in this beautiful historic Dutch town called Delft. And Delft is one of the most historic towns in the Netherlands. And when the city of Delft found out that Werner Herzog wanted to release 11,000 rats in their town square, they said, absolutely not. And so they had to find a less a fancy city with a, a similar looking town square to release these rats in. And it is just like a blanket of rats. And so I couldn't not incorporate that because it's such an incredible visual that really stuck in my mind because it is legit horrifying. That's... You don't want to see that. I, so I watched I really what rats... I watched what rats could do when I was first playing Dishonored, and I got a little bit of. <laughs> yeah, I was um, gonna say, wasn't there like a video game based off of the whole rats thing? Kind, well, kind of. Oh. I'm I'm the I'm I fucking love Dishonored, uh, but rats take a large part of the plot of the first game. Oh no, not uh, in Dishonored. There's like a whole oh, okay. separate game based on it. I don't. I don't, I don't know anything right about that, but that I mean, if that's if that exists, that's awesome. It would be, I'm, I'm going to guess it would be a correct assumption to say that you love horror movies. Yes, very much. How much of that influences your work on Pathfinder and Starfinder? 
a lot, a lot. I also did a horror monster for um, Starfinder Alien Archive 4 called The Scene, which is um, the prompt that I got from Joe Pacini is just observer effect alien. And that could be kind of anything, you know, the I think probably the most famous observer effect uh, monster is the Weeping Angels from Doctor Who, which, you know, the whole premise is it appears, uh, it does different things depending on whether or not you're looking at it. But I didn't want to copy that because it's, mm-hmm. you know, that's so well that's known. Been, that's been done a few times by not, not even just the Weeping Angels, but... Exactly. So what I did for that one was uh, I temporarily became a <clears throat> physics uh, person. <laughs> I'm not normally, but the observer effect is a real physics phenomenon. And so I wanted to focus in on how that actually works and try to adapt it to Starfinder mechanics. That's hard, by the way. Are you telling me you went into the quantum physics world? <laughs> <laughs> yes it's like nobody has ever researched quantum physics for their role-playing game before <laughs> oh, maybe that's not true there's some really big nerds out there yeah. in this world oh who was it one was star it? trek ttrpg nerd who was just so <laughs> dedicated to figuring out warp that they just yes. it's not it's not quite quantum physics it was jess that was super into like planar yeah oh, shit right yes jess we had the planar had... queen yeah, we had her on here a little while ago. Nice. And she went into some detail about the the planar weird shit that she got into. <laughs> the drift crisis oh. looks so interesting. And I so want to run it at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait heard, to see more of it. We heard a lot of things, like reality TV shows, boy bands. That interview made me want to play Starfinder really bad. A whole lot of stuff, yeah. Jess is one of the coolest people I know. So that does not surprise me that she had all sorts of awesome things to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's it's fun to get to dive into those niche topics. So for that one, I did get to blend horror because I wanted it to be as creepy as possible and science. Um, they definitely, my first draft, they were like, this is way too complicated. <laughs> and so I had to trim it down and down and down and down into something that was actually playable at the table. And I think they actually even made it even further less complicated um, after I turned in the final because that was kind of a tall order I gave myself. But yeah, that creature, the art in that, but if you haven't looked at Alien Archive 4, I recommend it because it's a great book. But the art that the artist came up with for this creature is just terrifying. It's got like this messed up face. It's really long and gaunt. And then at the end of its limbs, it has essentially like giant like spikes that look like nails, as in like fingernails, not like uh, hammer and nails. So, and like weird cuticles. And it's just, it's it's so creepy. And I could not so have been cool. more delighted. When the art came in and I got to show my coworkers, I made sure to show everybody just to see their reactions because everybody was so freaked out by it. Oh, the artists you guys are pick are crazy amazing. Oh, there's so many good artists that work on our books. I just, Um, it's one of the most, I forgot to say one of the most exciting things of our day is when we get new art in. That is always super fun to be able to go through new art, especially, oh my God, when you get a Wayne Reynolds cover in. And it's like, nobody has seen this before. This is so magical. I have seen Definitely. the cover of Dark Archive. Oh, I forgot, because wow. the one they have right now is a stand-in of it, right? That is a stand-in. I'll just tease you with that. I can't tell is you it, anything Is it good? It. Oh, it's dope. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to Dark Archive. The idea of just X-Files and Pathfinder is something I've been so looking forward to for a while yeah. now, and... Well, the Thaumaturge is very interesting of a class that I can't wait to see where it goes. Um, Thaumaturge. I I forgot to say things that I did this year. Uh, I did create the iconic for the Thaumaturge. So that's my baby. That was you? That was me. awesome. Yeah. I love them. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I I love just the sheer amount of random stuff they have on them. (laughs) This is a character that can do anything but maybe takes a couple actions to find the correct implement. That's not a class feature, but it could be. 
I, oh. I think I might introduce that as a mechanic. If you're encumbered, you have to spend an additional interact action just to figure <laughs> out where stuff is. Yes. Yes. You can do more things, but you take time to find them. That could oh. be an archetype. <laughs> the Design team, just... you know what you got to do. Yeah. Oh, the thaumaturge in general is just all about having a bunch of random shit on you at all times. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm, uh, I had a lot of fun with James Case uh, figuring out what we wanted to do for that because both of us are fans of John Constantine. And so we wanted something that was kind of inspired by that, but also as a character, just fundamentally extremely different. Uh, we didn't want the iconic to be John Constantine, the Pathfinder iconic. So That'd be cool. I, <laughs> it would be cool in some ways. But yeah, but we had that same kind of shared love, like especially I've read a ton of the comics, but James is not as much of an American comics person, but we both love the Keanu Reeves movie. Most people only like the comic or the movie. I say, why pick? They're both great. You could take the third option and go with the one from uh, Legends of Tomorrow. I mean, he I does a great job. Too. He's great too. Yeah, I mean, personally, I, I mean, the DCAU, uh, the animated ones with Constantine are probably my favorite, like, version of him. Like, Keanu Reeves oh, okay. great job, but... Keanu Reeves is this very different version of the character. But it's a really fun version because I love Keanu and I enjoy pretty much everything he does. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's very atmospheric. So, yeah, that, that was kind of all the stuff that we were throwing in. We were trying to, and you got a little bit of Van Helsing, obviously. Um, we got to put together a variety of different influences, but try to make something that was unique. Awesome. So, uh, personally, I kind of want to go back into, you mentioned writing for Grand Bazaar. Mm -hmm. And um, you mentioned when writing Arhan uh, for Lost Omens Grand Bazaar, you talked about how on, on Twitter you went on a giant thread on how your Jewish <laughs> heritage and has influenced your um, writing of the character. Could you go a little bit in depth with that about yeah. how your like your culture affected how the character turned out? I mean, obviously he's not my favorite, but you know. <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, so Arhan is inspired by my Sephardic ancestors. So both of my mom's parents are mixed Sephardic and Ashkenazi Jews. And so the Sephardic Jews are, if you don't know, they are the ones who the Spanish Inquisition happened to back in the day. That's kind of like the de definition of the ethnic group is the descendants of people, of Jews who were persecuted in the Spanish Inquisition. Um, and so Arhan's story is attempting to be a metaphor for the Spanish Inquisition, which Cheliax uh, stands in very well for. That's so, yeah, I, I was like trying to figure out a religious analog because there's no Judaism in Pathfinder. There's no That'd be really weird. Like, yeah, just, it doesn't just, work. Just thinking about like Jewish culture in general, I don't even know how that would work in Pathfinder to be 100% honest. You get a latka item and then... The... <laughs> I mean, that's obviously an oversimplification of it, <laughs> but I get what you mean. It, it just doesn't work because there's no monotheism in the Pathfinder yeah. world. Um, so I picked Shellen because for me, like my Jewish upbringing was very much centered around music. Uh, I played in a klezmer band growing up. I played the saxophone. And I did choir and all that good stuff, but it's very much like a joyful um, kind of tradition. And so I had his family be Shelanites, and then uh, the way, sh like the way religion works in Sheliacs in the setting is mostly a they will be tolerant until you cause trouble kind of situation, and they, and so the idea that I had was that reminded me of how in Spain, the way it worked for a while was, okay, well, you can exist as a Jewish person if you practice Christianity, like if you claim to convert. But uh, so a lot of people were pretending to be Christians, even though they were living secretly as Jews. And so that's what Arhan's family is kind of doing with their Shalonite beliefs. But of course they get caught 
And so they are forced to flee. And that is how they end up in Absalom. So yeah, I wanted to reflect that because that's how, that, that was my family history, my family that happened to them hundreds of years ago. And that's how they ended up where they ended up. And I also thought, you know, we don't have very many, um, there's a lot of refugees in the setting as in like, this is a thing that happens to people. Like, you know, the nation of Last Wall, everyone who used to live there is now a refugee, but we don't have very many characters who we actually spotlight who are refugees. And there's a lot of refugees in the world right now. And there's a lot of refugee crisis in the world right now. And so I hope that people can see that and identify with it, even if it's drawn on ancient history, it's not an ancient issue. I think that's awesome, actually. That's oh, thank you. Bringing in, I actually I didn't know that Sephardic Jews were defined by the Spanish Inquisition, um, mm -hmm. but honestly, I didn't know a whole lot about Judaism before I met James, who has shown <laughs> me a shit ton of stuff about Judaism. Yeah. Yeah. Are you saying the Torah in the background wasn't a dead giveaway? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's basically where I think I got my most like most of my information too. It was just from James, but it's really cool. I I um like I really like it when creators implement these little pieces of history in their art that doesn't you know usually have things like this. So I, I find that really interesting. Yeah, thank you. I, I that was my hope that that would resonate with people because there is a lot of of history that can go really well in these game settings, which are, you know, Pathfinder's setting of Galarian is so, so diverse. Um, and it needs to be filled with diverse stories. That's part of the reason why I love the setting so much. Like most, there are a lot of cultures in, in Galarian and its lore that just don't really get represented as much as I think they should. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, and That's one of the things we're always looking to do. Like, I was. Oh wait, sorry, you were not done talking. Finish. No, your no, sentence. no. I was. I was just about to say. I love all the allegories for stuff like a bunch of South or Southeast Asian or yeah, Southeast Asian. Um, mm -hmm. I am stuttering. Uh, Southeast Asian cultures and stuff. Uh, it's it's awesome. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say one of the things that was so exciting to me about Guns and Gears is how much it focused on Arcadia which everyone loves Arcadia. Of Arcadia. Got, <laughs> it's gotten so little attention because it got barely any treatment in first edition, hardly at all. And then we've been trying to figure out how to get more and more of it in second edition. And so putting a huge section about Arcadia in Guns and Gears was I think perfect because it does have that whole beast gun culture, which is totally rad and not something that exists in any other setting. And that was really fun to get to dive deep. Um, and I hope we can dive deeper because there's much, I mean, we could easily put out a 350 page source book on Arcadia and we would have oh, more totally. than enough stuff to say. I hope that someday we can. One thing I really enjoy about um, second edition is that you guys are looking at a lot more places that typically were either not really ignored but not heavily touched on mm -hmm. that is so like rich with culture i think the biggest example recently that i've seen was the Milwaukee expanse with yeah. the book coming out um strength, strength of a thousand age of ashes oh well if you play yeah. age of ashes far enough into the story <laughs> you get there where yeah. they're right now in our campaign <laughs> oh awesome yeah, yeah the monkey expanse to... book is i can't even tell you how awesome it feels to have made a book like that like i'm so freaking proud of every single person who worked on that book because it's like the writers put together something amazing the developers turned it into this beautiful cohesive piece that really just fits together so well as this incredible world and then getting to edit it was such a joy uh, and such a privilege to be able to go in there and just kind of immerse myself in that really really vibrant world and every part of that book is so different because it represents so many different um like origin sources and all of that reflected in this book 
turns into this really beautiful tapestry of different cultures, heritages, uh, different types of fantasy, uh, different fantasy, fantasy genres within one book. And I just love it so much. And it makes me so happy that it's been successful because it's nerve wracking. You know, you, we really, really put ourselves out there um, in a, a kind of precarious position to put that book out because if it's not popular, then people are going to, you know, the fear is people will point at this and say, oh, well, diverse books don't sell. That was the scary thing about mm. like, how are people going to react? But it did, it has done really well and been so popular. So I just, I'm, I can't even say how happy I am about how that book has done. I think part of the reason why it did well and why like, and why that bad situation that you were trying to avoid didn't happen. And it, this might not be a thing exclusive to, well, I don't know what I'm talking about. Paizo has always been like, from what I've seen, Paizo has always been a very diverse and inclusive company, which feels weird to say, but. Well, I think that's true in some ways and not true in others. Yeah. Paizo has always had women um, at the company. That is for sure the truth. Um, the history of Paizo has been pretty white. I would say Paizo is still a very white company, unfortunately, yeah. uh, which is frustrating and challenging and something we're actively working on trying to figure out how to change that because uh, it, it continues to be a problem. You know, Paizo has changed and improved in a lot of ways, but it continues to be a white company pred predominantly, like probably something like 80% white at Paizo, and that's not great. So um, I love Paizo, I love working at Paizo, and I want Paizo to be the best place that it can be. So I don't say that to bash Paizo, and I don't want people to come out of this interview with being like, oh man, Avi Cool said that Paizo sucks because it's so white, <laughs> because that's not true at all. But um, it's definitely always been true that people wanted to incorporate different cultures. And there's been good intentions, I think, since the very beginning of having a diverse setting. There were definitely some false steps, especially at the beginning of people not really knowing how to do that because it was a very white group of people. Mm -hmm. And those people are not like assholes. They're people who have learned a lot in the past 20 years. And I'm proud of all of them because it's hard to push yourself to grow when you're in a situation of you've always been surrounded by a world that works in a certain way. Like a lot of the people from the early Paizo days are from Wizards of the Coast, or they originally worked on Dungeons and Dragons or are otherwise, you know, part of the quote unquote old school, which is of course the old school is going to be a very white space. So um, yeah, everyone's I think come a really long way, but there's still lots of mo lots more work to do. Yeah, um, if you feel comfortable commenting on this, one of the things that was coming out during the whole Paizo scandal right before Gen Con was their treatment of transgender employees and the complete lack of transgender um, representation in the company. Uh, I can't really speak to like in-game. I've seen a lot of like trans characters or at least non-binary mm -hmm. characters. Uh, Tara Kakra from Ruby Phoenix being my <laughs> yeah. number one. Nice. Uh, what was nice. the name of the non-binary Nolan Strength of a Thousand? I love them so much. Oh, it's oh, like ants. Sure. Anchor Root is Anchor Root. not non-binary. Not... Yeah. Anchor Root is is I think just identifies as a girl, but oh, okay. I'm not sure. Still adorable. There, I might be misremembering that because I edited I think four of six volumes of that book, so it's very possible that that was said in one of the volumes that I didn't edit. But I'm not sure. I love Anchor Root. Anchor Root is the best. <laughs> the adorable little ant mole who's so anxious about everything and has a pet chicken. Yep, you're right. She, yeah, she uses she, her pronouns and identifies as a girl. That was just me misremembering. No worries. There are a lot of trans and non-binary characters. But anyway, you were in the middle of asking a question. Sorry. Yeah, I, um, I was wondering... <laughs> No, no problem. It, look, if I could talk about Anchor Root, I might not be playing <laughs> yeah. it right now, but hopefully we can throw up an image of this adorable NPC because yes. it, it's lovely. I know. I know you like loves them too. Anchor loves Root is, is uh, the hero that we all need. 
Yeah, so... Oh, just right there. Right there. <laughs> just right on Barat's hand. Right there. Uh, easy space. Yeah. All right, we're good. Uh, yeah, so the question was kind of leading to what were going to be your thoughts on, and you you might not know right now, or if the union has discussed this, but part of diversifying the company would be, uh, part of the scandal was taking, uh, was there wasn't enough, like, transgender people or um, people who just either don't identify on the gender spectrum or whatever you identify as, um, what's your current thoughts on if you've seen like the union start pushing for uh trans rights i know they put out a post about it but yeah uh, just your surface level thoughts on it so i'm actually super excited i think we made a huge step the other day in taking a really firm stance on transphobia on the forums and that didn't come from the union that came from the blog team where um basically we put together we were like we want to do some kind of uh trans day or trans week of uh trans awareness week remembrance I, yeah it, trans day of remembrance and trans awareness week or two different phrases that i just put, almost made one phrase but i anyway, remember seeing yeah we wanted to have something because we do like to put out blog posts for different holidays and cultural events and different things like that but uh, there's been a huge problem with transphobia on the forums and that had kind of spilled out of control and so we're like how can we pair a blog post with some actual concrete action so it's not just words and so what we did was we used this blog post to announce our new moderation uh policy about transphobia which is it basically if you see it email don't just flag it email customer service directly with the with the heading um intolerance and the person who did it will get a permanent suspension uh, and so that I feel really, really good about that. I think that's a huge step forward and it's something that just kind of happened at the spur of the moment of like, what are we going to do? We need to do something. We need to have some kind of way of, of helping this really kind of disastrous situation that's arisen. Um, and so that I thought was a great first step. We could always use more trans people at the company. There are a number of trans people at the company currently, but there could always be more. Um, but definitely step one needed to be make sure that it was actually a safe space. And so I feel very proud of everyone involved in, in that decision. That was a lot, a lot of that work came from James Case. I'll shout him out. Um, he did a really great job spearheading that. That reminds me of the, uh, the recent time that Games Workshop had to put out like a PSA. Uh, to their players about the Warhammer faction, the Imperium of Man, mm -hmm. because people started to idolize them and it was becoming very, uh, there was like a problem with toxicity in the community. Yeah. Um, and it's really awesome to see like developers like that take a stand and try and improve elements or toxic elements of their community by directly interacting with said community. Yeah, it's so important because it affects the fans, it affects staff, it affects culture in general, um, like the gaming culture in general. And so it's super, super important that the forums are not a place where that kind of toxicity is left to fester. Sure. And it's always a challenge because the moderators are the customer service team and that's only like maybe 10% of their job. The majority of their job is making sure you get your books or if there's an issue with your order resolving that and those two things are you know a full-time job on their own and so then having to moderate the forums on top of that it it can be really challenging so the whole point of this new procedure is if you email the customer service team directly they're actually going to see it right away versus having a huge backlog of flags that may or may not be relevant, may or may not be duplicates, um, may just be random stuff that is not actually really super important. So um, yeah, hopefully this will make the customer service team's life a little bit easier. I know that it's been weighing on them to see the forums in a rough place and they are awesome. I cannot shout out the customer service team enough. They're such cool people and like every, every single one of them um, cares so much and works so hard so yeah everything that we can do to support them is is a win in my book 
Definitely. I think every time I've ended up having emailing uh, customer service about one thing or another, like managing my subscription or whatever, it's been just so nice because they're always just so friendly and mm -hmm. they feel so human when they're talking with you. It's truly just great job on their end. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're very kind, loving nerds. What more could you ask for at a game company? More nerds. <laughs> More that's nerds. A, that's a trend with a lot of Paizo, like people from Paizo, um, that uh, not even just in interviews so far, like everybody from Paizo just seems so warm. I don't. <laughs> I thought you were going to say everyone's a nerd. <laughs> well, like, yeah, they are. <laughs> they they <laughs> definitely are. But <laughs> secondary to that. Yeah, exactly. I, I think you're right. Friendly. I think there is a real uh, a culture of enthusiasm and friendliness at Paizo, um, which I love. Um, I've definitely worked in places where people show up and they clock out, and that's kind of the extent of their interaction with the with the life there. But um, everyone is so kind, and I've made so many really really good friends at Paizo. Like I didn't know when I first started as a temp. I was straight out of college and I was like, am I gonna be way younger than everyone? Um, am I gonna be able to make friends? Is everything gonna be super awkward? Cause I'm really intimidated by all these people who make these amazing books. Um, and that was in 2018. And now the people I work with are like people I used to be scared of. Like, don't tell Logan, I used to be scared of him. Because he's Don't like, tell Logan, I'm still afraid of him. <laughs> <laughs> because he's very direct and it can be difficult to know exactly how, uh, like, if you have anxiety like me, it's like, oh God, it's, God, it's is it just, it, it, what's going on? I don't know what's happening. But I mean, he, Logan knows this. This is not, this is not new information to him. The people who are very blunt, if they yeah. give a compliment, they mean it that time. Exactly, exactly. And now he's like one of my favorite people. So um, there, like, there are so many amazing, friendly, warm, kind people at the company. And I think that's what makes the, the company so good. And that's what makes the books so good is people really, really collaborate with each other and have a lot of uh, respect for each other and what, what we all do. It's awesome. Well, as an immediate change of pace. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I was wondering, so when you're, obviously, you work on Pathfinder Starfinder day in, day out, um, does this ever, like, bleed into your own, like, home life? Like, when, I don't know if you play Pathfinder outside of uh, company time, or even inside company time, you just don't want to say it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do. How does that affect one to the other? I do play Pathfinder um, uh, not as often as I would like, but at least once a month, um, because I play on a game with the No Direction Network, uh, GM'd by Luis Loza called Valiant. And that is, we try to meet every month, though sometimes it goes a little longer. I wish I could play more, but it's hard to have a campaign going in the pandemic. Um, all the in-person campaigns that I was in um, have are on indefinite hiatus. None of them made the switch to, excuse me, none of them made the switch to online campaigns. So it can be uh, also hard to find time. Like there are definitely times where we have said like, let's do a game, but nobody has the energy to GM is I think the main problem. Everyone wants to play. Nobody has the time and energy to GM. Uh, but I really like playing Pathfinder outside of work hours. Um, Pathfinder 2nd Edition in particular is, is my favorite game that I've ever played. I think it's super fun. And uh, I wish I could play more of it. Sometimes I do feel like Pathfinder invades my sleep. <laughs> it's like, it is a huge, it is a huge, huge, huge part of my life on so many levels probably not in the same way but i i definitely feel that i'll just be sitting in bed and suddenly i'll realize oh yeah samurai could probably or uh, ninja could probably work as like a monk subclass type thing <laughs> yeah it could it could oh Who that's knows? the worst time it's like you just come up with the best ideas when you don't or you're not anywhere to write them down 
for me, it's like, oh God, I made the wrong call on that edit. And it'll be like two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, oh God, I have to write this down and tell Ron in the morning or whatever that I gave him the wrong answer to your question. (laughs) You know, things like that. It'll definitely haunt me in my sleep sometimes. Circling back to that, how, how late have you done one of those? Like... As close to publishing date, how how late have you done those? Oh, yeah, you had any, uh, any any saves? We have absolutely thing. made changes the day that it goes to the printer, all the time. That's just kind of how the approvals process works. Because at, like someone like Eric Mona does approvals of every book, but he doesn't have time to do. Uh, to do them well in advance let's say because he's so busy i don't know how he exists like he is so busy all the time and so he will generally come in approvals pretty late in the process and normally his changes are very small and minor and like they're just little fixes Um, but sometimes we do end up with like oh this needs captions on all these things and it's the final day of the process or oh these captions need to go away (laughs) it's the final day of the process uh hopefully for me i try to leave those things to the end of the editing period not the end of the approvals period which is after i'm supposed to be done with my Mm -hmm. job but there are there are times where we make really last minute changes like the infamous uncommon typos in lost omens ancestry guide that was made during uh at probably eight o'clock at night on a Friday, which is why it's typoed because the person who entered it in was very tired. And so it can actually be dangerous to be doing those kind of things in it's my dream life. just an uncommon problem, that's all. Exactly. In my dream life, we would not be doing approvals that late, but sometimes it's just, uh, sometimes the schedule is just relentless and it gets away from you. Um, yeah, that that example is an unfortunate uh, unfortunate illustration of when the approvals process rears its ugly head. Normally, it's seamless, and you would never ever know that anything ever changed. <laughs> but yeah, occasionally, you know, that's just a little a little peek into the way publishing works. Sometimes it doesn't work the way you want. Sometimes things happen really late at night on the very last possible moment, and everyone's worked uh, another hour or two past where they wanted to go home and sometimes things are a little wacky but um it's one of the quirks of the industry i think any publishing publishing job you're going to have similar kind of wacky stories like that so uh as a senior editor do you have any um like advice for people who are just like getting into writing or editing like pathfinder starfinder books yeah just um, in general really yeah, yeah uh, I think my biggest piece of advice for people who are just getting into it is self-publish your stuff. Uh, like there are freelancers who we have contacted who have never had published work before, but they have an itch page and they have their one page RPGs on there. And you can at least look at the quality of their writing and see how interesting their ideas are, uh, even if it's something really small. Um, one of our freelancers, uh, when I first uh, when I first found out about them, all they had uh, was some poetry on their itch. But I knew that they had done like game design before, and it was like, you're clearly a good writer. You clearly have good ideas, and you know they ended up working for us, and now are one of our like awesome, most trusted freelancers. So. Um, really just having work that people can see because that's going to really get you in the door more than anything else. That's why you should use Pathfinder Infinite. (laughs) Actually, I forgot about Pathfinder in Starfinder Infinite. That is a great place to put things now that that actually exists. cannot wait to put something up on Pathfinder Infinite for the first time. It's either going to be my personal project or me and James's personal project, which is... James, you want to is uh, uh, Yeehaw Cowboy? <laughs> Yeehaw Cowboys in the Wild West, which we just kind of placed vaguely in Arcadia. Awesome, just vaguely somewhere there. 
Awesome, awesome, awesome. He's, I can't he's wait. Somewhere over there. <laughs> no, I've had a good friend, uh, Tabletop Obscura, uh, do some co writing mm -hmm. projects. I could definitely say releasing stuff on Infinite feels amazing when you finish up a writing project and you're like, oh, dying. And then you're like, oh, wait, hold on. No, I got two more. <laughs> Back to the. <laughs> yeah. No, Infinite is so cool. I'm really glad that that exists now. Um, as a way for people to put their stuff out there. It makes me happy. And I've seen some fun things. I haven't really gotten to dive in yet, but I, I've seen a handful of fun little products on there. I've started writing something for myself and I don't know if I'll ever actually finish it. I started writing a uplifted bear equivalent, which is, you know, Starfinder has uplifted bears. Um, and I started writing an awakened bear for Pathfinder Second Edition, we'll see if I ever finish it. Nobody else is allowed to do this. <laughs> this I is your thing. You're it. the bear person. It's a work in progress. No, that's if somebody else does it, it's totally fine. I won't be offended. <laughs> but we actually, yeah. um, there is a bear adventure. I'm I'm so sorry, Obscura. No, but I'm gonna I saw this. that. We, I, I was helped. Uh, I did some. I didn't get. Um, I helped a little bit and just like coming up with some of the story like it's all 100% Obscura but we had we were talking uh, and we were like oh Avi's gonna love this and I think we even threw it a reference to you somewhere in the oh. in the bounty but I need and to then I also referenced to Big Bumble because oh, Age of Ashes <laughs> excellent Big Bumble excellent yeah, I did see that there was a bear-related product on there, and that made me extremely happy. Some kind of bear adventures. I'm not sure if that's the same one that you're talking about. It is, yeah. That's the yes. one I helped. Uh, well, not helped. I just gave a lending hand. It, like I said, it was 100% obscure as like, work. Yeah, I need to check that out. I saw it, was like, oh my god, and then I was in the middle of the workday, and so didn't do anything <laughs> about it, and then forgot. But now that I remember it, I need to go check that out. Really time is fun. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't pet bears, why are they so friendshaped? Exactly. I'm always happy to have bears in games, and especially ways that bears are in games without you killing them. Like a, a mount is, or something. Oh my god. Bear mount is a great idea. Anytime Legend you can Korra. befriend a bear. Yeah, exactly. This is this is when we usually start to wrap things up. So uh, I'm going to go into our final questions and then yep. our fact of the day. Uh, what is your overarching message to the viewers? Like anything, one message to get out there into the world. Oh man, <laughs> that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Uh, make gay books, make your books <laughs> gayer. Yes. That's right. We always... need everything. Lord of the Rings, we need more gay. I need yes. to hang up my pride flag. It's going to go right there. Excellent. Excellent. I have a small one hanging up, but I really need to eventually buy. <laughs> I got to get a big one. Just drape it everywhere. There's nowhere in your room to put it. <laughs> I could take down with some non-needed artwork. Uh, uh, no, those are all essential. I'll uh -huh. figure it out. <laughs> Maybe the Starfinder yeah. poster can come down. Oh, poor Starfinder. Leave the Starfinder poster. All right, all right. I'll leave up Starfinder. I'll figure something out. <laughs> yeah, right. that's my one piece of advice for the world. Make your books more gay. Great what? advice. And if it was Next. already gay, more Next gay. Next question. <laughs> this one, this one's going to hit you hit you like a surprise. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It hits everyone like a surprise. Here it is. If you could rename one element of the periodic table, what would you rename it to? Pull up P table if you need to. <laughs> P table.net. It's what got me through chemistry and bio. Okay. Okay. I got one. That I was the one. fastest we've ever had that. <laughs> yeah. There's usually I, some deliberation. I would rename helium to goofium. Yes. There we okay. go. I'm sticking with that. <laughs> Shit, it works. That works. That works. That works. Fact of the All day right. because. Fact of the day. So. I was told that you really like bears. Yes. So you might already know this one. Hit me. Polar bear fur is actually clear and their skin is black. 
Yeah, I did know that, but I appreciate it anyway, because you're bringing the bear facts to the masses. It doesn't need to be for me. It's for the world. I'm, I'm now everybody knows. shaved polar bear. Editors <laughs> <laughs> oh don't throw an image. Oh my god, your face looks horrified. I'm googling it now. I don't even know. What it's that looks so like. wrinkly. <laughs> oh, I've seen shaved bears before. They don't look like bears. They look like bats on four legs. To be honest, you, you know, know they, they weren't like meant to be without they fur. Look like bigger chihuahuas. Oh, <laughs> it's so weird. The fur is important. It exists for the, a reason. The fur makes them cute. Without it, they look like a. It makes like one of those like cats with like no hair on it. <laughs> It makes perfect sense that their fur is clear and that their skin is black, right? Because clear fur allows the light to pass through easily mm-hmm. without the cold, right? Yeah. And then black fur easily allows that heat to be absorbed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess so. Yeah, it makes sense. Oh, that's a that's a picture of a panda bear with only their the ass shaved off. That's great. <laughs> I saw that too. <laughs> Someone, someone in China had to take that photo. It was just so. <laughs> Did you know pandas are real bears? Because a lot of people don't know that. That's my no, fun fact of, of the day. A lot of wait, people do not know that. They are real bears or they, they aren't? Are. They are indeed oh, okay. real bears. Yeah, why wouldn't they be real bears? And a bear? I, mean, I know, it's but. It's name. <laughs> It's okay. Well, my fun fact isn't as good of a fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody out there that didn't know. Somebody just finally like cracked the case. There's like, I always knew it. All right. We just need it. It was a bear the whole time. No. Okay. I have a real fun fact about pandas, which is guaranteed right. something that people don't know. They're so black and white. Pandas, pandas are black and white. No. <laughs> pandas have black and white as camouflage and you might look at this panda and you'd be like how on earth is this camouflage it really sticks out but it's not meant to camouflage the adults it's meant to camouflage the cubs because what they do is they put their cubs at the very top of a tree and then the mom will go and eat for days at a time because it required they require so much food in order to produce milk and so she will leave her cubs at the very, very top of these trees. And if you're standing on the bottom looking up, the, the white blends in with the sun and the black blends in with the tree branches. So from the ground, a baby panda at the top of a tree is basically invisible. That's my fun Google fact. search. No. Well, pandas uh, in trees. I want to see. I mean, I believe yeah, you 100%, I thought, but I just need to I, see this for myself. Yeah, the coloration was always weird because don't they spend most of their time in, like, bamboo forests mm-hmm. with a bunch of yep. green around them? But that makes sense, actually. Yeah, I watched a PBS Nature documentary about this, yes. and that is that is where it's at. PBS Nature always is the PBS. best show on television. Nature documentaries in general are you ever watch CBS Kids with like you know the wild crats? <laughs> yes, wild crats. I grew up on the Crat Brothers. Oh, Zaboomafu. Yep. Oh, that was. My I shirt. personally like the mini game they had on the website where you could race the other uh, robot uh, cheetahs. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if Avi knows this one, but I'm sure you two know it. You remember Fetch with Rough Ruffman? The orange dog? Yes. I I might might be slightly too old for that. Yeah. (laughs) We're I don't know how old you are, but twenty nine. Oh, okay. So we're like about a decade. Just 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 under a deck like a generation below you. Yeah. Well no, you're technically Gen Z. Nope. I'm a young millennial. Oh, okay. Yeah. Finally. We're so Uh, close to our gang. (laughs) I know. Finally, it's our turn to roll out the red carpet for you. You got a camera in front of you and three other cameras in front of everybody else. Uh, tell the people what you're doing and where they can find you. Yeah, um, I, I, okay. By what I'm doing, what do you mean? Do you mean like what I'm doing with my work or what? What crimes? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, let's focus on uh, work that you're currently working on that you can tell us within the whole ISO thing. 
Sure. Right now, I am working on Pathfinder Lost Omens Knights of Last Wall. And so check that out when it comes out uh, next year. And you can find me on Twitter at Legalize Goblins. Go on there now. That name always gets a laugh from someone, and I see Barat was chuckling to himself. Oh, I'm already following you. Such a good name. (laughs) (laughs) That one is one of those thoughts that come to you at very late at night. That that does definitely sound like a late night thought. Like (laughs) Twitter handle, it's gotta be funny. Exactly. Well, the good news is that goblins became legal as a core ancestry now. So yes. we we finally got goblin liberation. I they're won. not they're not explicitly described as fucking evil now, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. They don't look like Jews, you know. It's improvement <laughs> every time. Oh, Halfway your goblins are the best goblins. Hands down. I I saw the little new plushie that's coming out. Yes. In the I want the life size figure. I. I got bullied by, um, oh my God, I'm going to, who was I talking, oh, Jason Tondro and Katina Davis about <laughs> not having it, and I still don't have the money for it yet, but it is, when I get it, I'm going to specifically call them back for an episode just to have it in front of me the entire time. Eric Mona has one, and it's next to his camera when he zooms, oh. so whenever you zoom with Eric Mona, he's got the goblin right here there what happened James's to my camera, camera. <laughs> somebody else is gonna have to do the outro oh boy um james what was the outro you do it every time i know this is going badly this is going badly all right there we go you heard them you heard avi go follow on twitter at legalized goblins all right it was so annoying because i was I was really looking interested in like getting one of those goblins. And then it was announced that there's two kobolds coming out of the same kind. I was just like, I can't afford all of them. I listen. No. We were coming back from uh, watching a movie, and this guy James, he he's in the car talking to me about this goblin. He's oh like, my god! <laughs> goblin. As we're driving back from the movie theater, he's talking to me about this goblin. You have no idea how badly I need it. <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty awesome they apparently according to eric take up more space than you'd expect i'll, I'll make the space all right i got <laughs> i got a nice chair waiting for them just right there oh it's gonna dwarf that chair <laughs> i'll make it work <laughs> all right avi it's been a pleasure having you on thank you oh, yeah. so much for having me this has been fantastic yes and thank you viewers for staying uh this long and uh and just thank you guys so much for watching uh remember to uh like and subscribe of course subscribe to the deadly d8 patreon hey, we don't even post these on youtube there we do we do post these on youtube do deadly d8's deadly. channel oh through, yeah, okay i thought you were talking about our channel my bad no no yeah, we do. Go, go do that why do you think we do this barat <laughs> what <laughs> we're gonna talk about this later <laughs> <laughs> you're getting you're getting a stern talking to no. But yeah, thank you so much, and we'll see you in the next video. (laughs) Bye. Awesome. Thank you, guys. See you later.